Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And here on the Renaissance today, I am very proud and very excited to have as my guest, Mr. Mike Lindell. A lot of people know him, you probably do, as the pillow guy, my pillow, which I plan to uh, order two today, by the way. Can I order directly from you? Absolutely. <laughs> I'll pay like everybody else. There's no swag on the, on the Renaissance. And I, I really am looking forward to trying it out. Because I, like you, have been a tossy turny sleeper all of my life, and I'm, I'm convinced right. and I'm inspired by your story and mm-hmm. and by your ads. To tell you the truth, well, thanks, yeah, yeah. And it, and and you'll find out as we talk that sleep is all about your neck being too high or too low. I had all pillows. I had this pillow pile going on, everything from memory foam to fiber fill to hollow fill to water pillows and. Nothing worked. <laughs> and uh, so I finally, uh, my friend said, you're going to get a patent on a pill? They laughed at me, you know. And uh, they said, what are you on, drugs? At that time, I was, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the answer is yes and yes. But, you know, let me, can you explain that uh, patented fiber fill for a second? What do you do? You grind the foam? Yeah, this, a is, a, this is a patented, it's a patented fill. It, it is a foam. And back when I invented, I tried over 94 different kinds of, different things to go inside the pillow. Well, when we finally had me and my son every day on the deck, we'd be tearing up different foams and flying around the neighborhood. And when I finally got it to where it was the right, the perfect softness, but yet, but yet support. And then the pieces, I had to invent a machine that made these different sizes. So when you move the pillow, you could set your own height. That was the key. And at one point we got it where you could set your height, but you couldn't get it to go back down. So that, it's kind of like back ah, to the drawing board. Back to the drawing board. Uh, truly uh, fabulous. Truly uh, fabulous. And I can't, I can't wait to try it out. I really can't. Yeah, we've got, you know, we've sold 52 million now. Just the other day was our 50s, 52 million. That's amazing. Congratulations. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I heard that you had spent, it was that a typo, $100 million on uh, television advertising, on infomercials? Yeah, it's probably over the years, it's more than that. But what what happened is every time you see a MyPillow commercial, it's an anomaly in the industry where that ad in that space of time breaks even or makes a little bit. So there's no, I've never branded. People say, oh, you spent all this money. No, I've never branded. It's think of it as doing a, like when I used to do a trade show or a home show, I'd go out there and I'd spend $1,000 to do the show. And if I brought back $1,300, I made a little profit. So every one of these spots, if it if it costs too much for the spot, we don't buy it. If it right. if our ad is not good, it's whatever the return on the investment. That's why you, you see so many promo codes out there. You know, use this promo code and use this one eight hundred number. You know, we have like thirty thousand one eight hundred numbers. You know, well, you're certainly getting good return. It, it seems yeah. at least uh, two to two to one uh, on on what you're yeah. spending. But uh, yeah. it's amazing that this pillow and the story of the pillow and your story itself, your story is my story a- as well. And uh, I, I guess I'm talking uh, in terms of a couple of things and uh, your personal relationship with God and mm-hmm. also uh, your personal relationship with cocaine, which I myself right. <laughs> went through. Right, uh, right, only mine, right. mine was during the uh, 70s and 80s. Yours, uh, it seems to be from the, between the eighties, nineties, and I guess a little bit into the, into the aughts that was, yep, that yep. was going on there and how that, I remember, uh, because of being addicted to cocaine, it, there were a lot of issues that had to do with sleep and, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> during, during, 
and I had to be at work like in three hours. And there no. I was once again after I'd sworn I would never do that again. And I would really uh, spend my nights staring at the ceiling. Oh uh, man, because no. cocaine keeps you up. You know, it's a no. stimulant. No. I would basically be begging God, praying to God, screaming at God. Uh, being mad at God, please take this away from me. And mm-hmm. uh, one day he finally did. And oh, yeah. uh, it was through, not while I was in bed, but I did have a, a one of those white light experiences where mm-hmm. I saw myself, if I can tell you mine, I, if, if you don't mind, I was, yeah, I, had, yeah. I had a band called the Eclectics and we had just gotten our record deal that very night. And we went back to the dressing room and we broke up. That, that very same night. And it was oh, really wow. because of, of the bands that uh, they just couldn't put up with me and my behavior and all that, which you know, right. cocaine was causing me to be kind of erratic. And I went home and I saw myself all of a sudden in a moment, either being dead in jail or losing everything that I had ever dreamt of being in my life within five years. And I, I, I was lucky I got it. I went down and I got I went 28 days, the CDC at uh, a hospital here. And I was lucky to get it in that first time, when, you know, went to meetings and stuff. And yeah, really, right. I, I myself, I ground my teeth for like four years, you know, oh. uh, with <laughs> right. the feeling of it. Right. And, you know, went through depression yeah. and stuff like that. And, uh, right. you know, you build, rebuild my identity and all that. But I, I did get mm-hmm. through it. And I, I just I couldn't have done that without God. I, I really oh, couldn't have done it with God, even though I wrestled with him the entire time. He, right. he, uh, he got me through it. And I, mm. I just don't have a, a that compulsion is I'm free of it. Right. And right. Uh, it's 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 a wonderful thing. Is that, I mean, does that sound familiar? Oh, it's exactly staring at the ceiling going, I need to get to sleep. Or maybe I should just stay up. I mean, these things when, you know, every the commonality of any drug or any addiction is it's, it's the same throughout the same, like with cocaine, it's every single cocaine act, you swore it off and then you're sitting there, you got to get up and the, in the three, four hours you're looking at, okay, I, I got If I get to sleep right now, I get two hours. And, and they, uh, and then uh, when mine switched to crack cocaine, which is different, I mean, then, then all of a sudden you had all these other things, these paranoias and just um, these other, you know, running out of, running out of chore boy and not baking soda and farming on the carpet farming and all these things that, that uh, a crack addict wouldn't know about. And, uh, right. and, uh, you know, this, um, but I think, uh, you know, the, the story, the, the stories are the same. Like I'm hearing that and hearing your success rate. One of the thing, my addiction network, which we can talk about today, but then I'm launching that an addict has a hard time relating to someone else's bottom. Now, if we sat here and talked about, your bottom or my bottom, then mm-hmm. I, I, you might not a crack addict or I mean an addict goes well. I'm not as bad as that, or I'm <laughs> or, or, or I'm or I'm worse than that. You know, yes. one of the two. You know, a guy yeah. says I rolled my car, I I killed somebody, blah blah blah, and they're going, well, I'm not as bad as that. You know, but if you tell the commonality of the drug, if you tell the commonality of the of the drug or the addiction, like you just did, I can relate to you. I know right. I can relate to that hope. You know, and uh, and that's a big thing. I mean, the commonality too is that your life has become completely unmanageable and yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. you're uh, helpless to it. And it, it's about a final surrender. And mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Uh, it's to me, it's a, a surrender to God's will, really, is, right. is, is right. what it is. And the, you know, they call it higher power in the program. And yeah. it works right. for people that works for people, but it's, it's really a surrender and a personal yes. relationship. Right? Yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But uh, I'd like to talk about, I really kind of don't know a lot about, you know, you're growing up. You uh, think I'm five years older than you. I was born in 54. You're 59, right? 1959. Yeah, 61, 61. 61, 61. That's not too far away. So we kind of really grew up both uh, in the same era. Same era, yeah. And uh, you grew up in a small town, I believe. Here's what, you know, with my story, it's... um, I was born, it was a small town in Minnesota. And then um, my parents divorced when I was seven years old and I was put into a new school and that changed everything. I was the only kid from a divorced family. So I, I mean, I, I felt in, in like I didn't fit in. I felt like a, um, 
I was unworthy. I mean, I look back now and I can see that, but I definitely had consciously had the feeling I don't fit in or I'm not, you know, and I would either show off, you know, or, or I wouldn't talk to people. I became, people say that all the time, what do you mean? You shy? I go, I was so, you know, up until three, four years ago, you, if you'd have told me I'd be speaking to 50,000 people in stadiums, I said, oh, that ain't happening or being on TV. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, but I became very, um, um, unless I knew you, you know, I would, I would, you know, I would be like the class clown to show off. You know, I jumped out of a moving bus window. Hey, watch this. You know, these guys were coming at me to beat me up. And I'm going, hey, you guys, watch this. I'll jump out this window. And then, of course, <laughs> they stopped. famous last words. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I, <laughs> so I jump out this, I jump out this moving bus window going 40 miles an hour. Well, then, then I kind of fit in with that group. I mean, I mean, just different, yeah. just different things. And, and I got, I worked at a drive-in movie theater and a grocery store. And I went to school at the U of M for one quarter and dropped out. I just, just it was like a redundancy for me. It just seemed like high school. I was, I just didn't even go to class and I would pass. And, and I, so I dropped out of that, but I got into, you know, at that point, when you talk about addictions, you know, I was into, uh, you know, I dressed drinking, I guess I started drinking probably late back then. I was by 16 when I started drinking, but they, uh, I got into gambling, um, compulsive gambling, football, sports betting with the mafia, right. you know, and, uh, I remember getting to my five-year class reunion and all of them are, you know, they're telling about their, you know, they've graduated from college or they've had, um, you know, at their same job and their careers are going, you know, just going great. And they're starting new families. And, and I got there and I hadn't done anything. So, but I kind of took over the reunion. Um, you know, my fiance had left me with, for my best friend and she had took mm -hmm. off. And so, so, but I, I took over the reunion. I started telling them all, Hey, you guys, I went, I went, I uh, fell asleep on a motorcycle and crashed it. And, uh, which I just got 17 traffic tickets in two days out running the cops. And I was going down skydiving. Actually, this happened. I fell asleep, crashed my motorcycle, got all back up, all bloodied up and went down and my parachute didn't open all in the same day. So I'm telling this to my class. I mean, to my class reunion. And then I go, and I, the mafia came to my door and they were going to kill me. And, and I had to pay him. I was into him for $20,000 and, Things like that, everybody's just stopped. They're going, wow, wow. Well, that, you know, bragging about these terrible things made me feel good inside. But I got home that night and I laid in bed and I'm going, it was a deep sadness that I didn't have. I wanted what they had. Right. I was missing something. And, yeah. you know, and then it got in the early, you know, to kind of fast forward in the mid, in the mid 80s and about 1983, 84, I was introduced to cocaine. Well, then it was over. I was just, I could fit in anywhere. I could talk your eye, you know, tuck your head off. I, I uh, felt I could do anything. And during that time, I had started, I was always an entrepreneur. My sister, uh, she flooded a third story building with a waterbed mm -hmm. at an uh, apartment complex, and I became a carpet cleaner, you know. Um, I was in treatment to get my license back. It was a little game we played in the 80s, you know. Go to get your license back, you'd uh, got a DWI, you'd go to treatment rather than go to jail. And, uh, and I'm in there playing that game and I talked to some guy. I said, well, what do you do? He says, oh, I used to be in California. And he said, I, I had these lunch wagons where the sides opened up and we fed people off of it. We didn't have that in Minnesota on this side of the city. So I said, told my friend, get me out of here. We're going to, we're going to uh, start a lunch wagon business. We're going to be millionaires. And we're gonna we built it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did it. But we, but we, and we built it up to like six, seven, eight trucks. And we had this whole side of the cities and, you know, anything I did, I dove into. Yes. And uh, but then I got into uh, God gave me um, wife of my dreams. We had four kids and oh. I was married 20 years. So a very functioning addict at that time. Well, it seems to be that you started a lot of things, but it, it seems like you weren't really good at finishing or you got had an obstacle which stopped you or right. maybe yeah. it wasn't the right thing for you. What, what do you think it was? I, you know, I would have all this passion. Like, let's say the carpet cleaning business. I, I was doing that just for the money. I didn't enjoy it. I, I was doing it for the money. And I think that's a big thing with entrepreneurs. You do something you enjoy. It's not even like work. And that one I didn't enjoy. The lunch wagon business I enjoyed. I enjoyed building up. But at the same time, we got we got a, a bar I had bartended at. I ended up getting that nightclub from him on a deal that I had put together. So me and my partner split on the lunch wagon. So the lunch wagons went awry. Mm -hmm. Things would happen that would stop things from going there. You'd, you'd be stopped in the sand. Other than I had a bar for 13 years. Now that one, 
I, I guess I got to be very good at, you didn't come to my bar for, um, you know, drink, get drunk. It was basically entertainment and escape. It was like, it was like, uh, uh, um, I would, like I could take my, yeah, 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 exactly. I could take that's right. I could show, I could show people stuff they never seen in a day, and it was like you know fun. But I, you know, I look back now and I, I feel like I missed a lot of those years, you know, with my kids because we were bringing up kids in, and we owned these mm. in this bar, and you know, people would look at us in the neighborhood. My wife was always worried at the time. She goes, oh, they, you know, we own a bar. They're, what are the neighbors? I said, well, they're sending their kids over here every day to make tents in the backyard and stuff. And I, I'm out there uh, entertaining the kids. And they, and they, and so I said, they can't think too bad of us. But, but there were things that I look back. And so my, like my daughter said to me once, she goes, she goes, you know, we're a dysfunctional family. I said, I don't know what that means, but don't ever say that again. You know, <laughs> I couldn't, uh, I couldn't, uh, but it was very functioning addict. And I think, you know, people look back when we talk about addiction, no matter how many forks you eat with, people get a preconceived notion. Oh, it's an addict down and out homeless in the street. No, they're yes. everywhere. For no matter how many forks you eat with, no matter who you are, affects everybody. And that's, yeah. We're, I was very functioning throughout. I, I myself, I, I thought I was uh, very good at hiding it. And in fact, I hid it from those who were closest to me and lived mm-hmm. with me for, for several years. And then, you know, when I had that white light experience, I uh, told them and it was, uh, their jaw dropped. Yeah. At the same time, <laughs> as the addiction was going along, like out of my work and stuff like that, I would... I, uh, there would always be this question: Do they know? Do they know? Do they know? And oh yeah! It, it was obvious that that people knew. You know, uh, no one could save me but myself. But I was interested right. in too is that throughout all this story of, of growing up and, and being an entrepreneur and you know being the the class clown and and uh, the wild guy keeping it alive for everybody in the torch life. Uh, where where was your relationship? with God through all this as a boy, as a boy growing up, did you grow up in a church or? Was your- well, you know, we had, we had good seeds planted. I think, you know, I when I would go down and stay in Iowa every, every year and, and uh, help my uncle on his farm, we, we'd go to ch- church every Sunday, like clockwork with my mom. And then my stepdad, we would go to, uh, I would, I remember being in Bible camp, Bible study. We had, we had good things planted. Now I remember as a kid, always thinking, you know, I, I try and imagine infinity living forever. I would try and imagine what God, well, if you go out there in outer space and you hit a wall, what's beyond that? And where did God come from? And where did God come from? All these questions I remember having in a 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old kid. And then I would, um, I, would always, I would always do math in my head going, well, if I live to be 80, I've only lived one-tenth of, or one-fifth one of my life, and I can worry about that later, you know. Mm-hmm. And Gosh, I mean, I would do these a, sounds like the exact same questions that came up to me as a kid, in fact. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And these did were you ever figure yeah. any of them out? <laughs> we never figured out. No, I did not. And, uh, but, but I, you know, I would get myself in trouble, and at that time I would be reactive in prayer, you know, that got to a stretch of my life. I never went to church then for a long time. Say, I define being reactive in prayer, would you? Well, you know, when everybody, I don't care, there's atheists out there, they can call themselves an atheist, whatever they want. When you're right there and you're, and you, uh, maybe you're going to jail, you're in jail and you've got your thoughts are running through your head or you, or you've gotten through this, uh, some terrible accident or something or, something's happened anytime that you have to reach out that you can't control it. Now it's out of your control. You're reaching out to God. God, please get me through this. You know, I'll never do it again. You know, many times when he got it, like you said it before with the cocaine, God, please, I want to, I don't ever want to do this again. You know, you're just, you're almost making a deal. In reactive prayer, I'm even an atheist right before an accident and he sees this coming. He's going to go, Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. Please get, please save me. Exactly. That's what I mean. That's reactive prayer. Right now, you can be and uh, and I actually thought the um, I had done something in the eighties and I was ashamed of and the mafia was going to kill my family. Long story. Well, anyway, I I went into a church then and you could just I could just feel everybody pointing at me, going, you know, there's that guy, there's that guy, and I'm going, who are you, hypocrite? You know, it was very. I kind of put a bad taste in my mouth with the church, going, you know, who righteous are you? You know, how dare you look at me? And, you know, what is it that, that uh, you know, they're judging me, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, 
So I stayed away from that. I would go like a lot of people do just on Christmas and Easter, you know? I mean, you know, I got to be that point, but I was the same myself. I mean, I started really, once I started getting into like junior high school and high school, uh, I started right. to equate uh, church with money. I remember getting chewed out because I didn't bring my offering and the Sunday right. school and what I came to see is kind of a, a hypocrisy where uh, what was going on in the world and what the church was saying you had to do. And then also there was the question of, you know, the billion Chinese that were not included in, in heaven. And uh, it, you right. know, there was a lot of things that just didn't make sense in my mind that I right. started turning to other things. Right. Yeah. I would, you know, I would have, you know, it was it was the church that I'm going. I, then I got the attitude. I don't have to. I can still believe in God. I don't have to go to church. So I had mm-hmm. that where, but God, yes. things kept things kept happening to me. And um, you know, the '80s. We got into the '90s. By the time the '90s, the things that kept happening to me were the all these miracles. I'd have like a one in a million happen, or a one in a billion, or that couldn't happen to anyone. Well, by the time I got the bar, I had for 13 years. I mean, everyone in the bar would notice this about me. They're going, you know. Gee, I'd almost think a gambling chart. Well, what's going to happen this week that doesn't happen? And, and I would get out of things. Things would happen. I would get out of it, whether it was I had 14 near-death experiences. I'm not even counting them. But you'd get out of it, and I almost would get or I'd get myself in trouble. And I would almost be complacent that, okay, um, you know, thanks, God, for get me out of that. It was almost like I'm invincible. You had this feeling like if all I got to do is pray to do this reactive prayer, and I'm going to come out the other side, and it's going to be beautiful. And it always happened that way kind of for me. And um, and then it got to the point, there were a few things that happened then in the 90s. I would start seeing things where the internet, different things where I'd, and we'd tell my uh, um, uh, friends, we'd be at the bar after the bars closed and I'd be telling them, you know, we'd all be doing cocaine. And I'd be going, you guys, you know, I read about Revelation, the end times when I was in jail. And uh, I'd start telling them about, you know, things like Mark of the Beast in the Bible and mm-hmm. things like this. And I'm going, and I go, you guys, they, and uh, anyway, they would end up quitting that night. We had 28 people we could look back on and quit. And I'm going, what did I say? I'm losing friends. I'm telling you, they're finding the Lord. And I'm sitting, but, but for me, I look back, it was always me trying to convince myself. I do that a lot when I would talk, you know, and, and uh, as I'm talking, I'm actually convincing myself. But I could convince them, but I still had never convinced myself. And God was still chasing me. Yes, he was still chasing you. Hadn't given up on you. In the words, I mean, that's the way it was for me. He it, basically he chased me. I mean, I, I went through the same thing of, oh, I don't have to go to church to believe in God. And then you know, I started studying Buddhism. Yeah, you know, I read also the Dhammapada. I read the the Quran. I read I read everything there was. Still, my favorite are the the red words of Jesus uh, that are mm-hmm. that are in the Bible. That really right. ring true, but you know, I started right. to see the also the similarities between religions. God was after me, I think, but I was kind of like on the sidelines about it. You know, I've come to a point where that is no longer the case, and I I know that you probably agree that in the end, it really comes down to a very personal relationship. Oh, really absolutely, and, and Jesus and, in particular for, for us being Christians. Yeah, absolutely, and that gets to you know. If you fast forward, you know, in the early 2000s to get up to that point, that's kind of the rest of my story. You get up, we, I end up selling this bar by things that were out of my control. And I was so devastated. It was like, you know, everything was gone. I mean, I was completely devastated. Like, what am I going to do now? I don't have a skill. I had no money. I mean, it was just nothing. And then, and I, and plus I had gotten into crack cocaine. And uh, I had all watched all my friends where crack took them down real fast. Just, you know, you've got functioning, functioning addicts, but that's something uh, I tell my friends, you know, my, or I've told the story, anyone that's a crack addict, I quit crack January 16, 2009. I vented my pillow in 2004 and they're going, um, that's impossible. And, but one of the things when, when I did invent, it took about a year and a half and mortgaged a house. There was nothing left, but I had these pillows and, went to a um, a box store and said, bed, bathroom, and said, how many of you got? I got the best pillows ever made and I'm all passionate, you know? I, and he goes, um, I go, I need to see your manager. He goes, um, you need to leave is what you need to do. And, uh, you know, I, but it was a complete shutout. And then I went to um, um, everywhere and someone said, well, Mike, why don't you do a kiosk? I said, well, how do you spell that? 
And uh, I didn't know a kiosk from anything. And we did to do this kiosk. Well, I could only be there like one of the days, a couple of days, because I was very, I couldn't be high doing it. So yeah, when like I a was kiosk at a mall, right? And a kiosk right. at a mall where the people can come right up to you. Mm-hmm. And remember, and remember, I right. couldn't talk to people without being high. You know, in my bar, people used to come in my bar. If it was a stranger and I was all alone in there, it wasn't like the old happy bartender. If I if I was completely sober and they came in, I'd, I'd wait on them and say, if you need anything, I'll, I'll let, let me know. And I'd be over here in the corner wiping a bottle going, please leave now. Please leave now. Or I were hoping somebody came in because I couldn't carry on. I just oh, thought right. I didn't. Especially that yeah. one-on-one thing. That one-on-one. Crowd, no I, problem. Yeah, right. exactly. And I did not, I didn't, I thought I just didn't like small talk, but it turns out later that was my, you can't get, that was my fear of rejection. You can't get rejection, rejection if you don't talk to people. So right. it's very simple, you know, and then I needed that false courage of cocaine or the false courage of alcohol or whatever. Well, anyway, so that, so in that kiosk, I couldn't function very well in, within that kiosk because people come right up to us. So I, it was out of my element. So I maybe worked it one day and we get to the end of that. Well, then in January, there was nothing left, but just some pillows that had failed miserably. But there was one day I had worked there where this guy had come up and said, Hey, do you, um, um, he bought a pillow. He said, do you have a business card? And I didn't have a business card. I go, oh, yeah, I'm all out. And I wrote Fresh my out. number. Here it is. I wrote my name. I go, yeah, I'm all out. Here's my phone number. Well, he, that one guy, that one day, he happened to call me the most divine appointment on January of that year. And he said, are you the guy that invented this pillow here from Minnesota? I said, yeah. He goes, this thing changed my life. He says, it's a miracle. It's the best product, not pillow, the best product I ever bought. So he goes, right. and he says, I run the Minneapolis Home and Garden Show. Would you like a spot in there? I said, sure. Now, when I went there, I changed everything. I put a table in between me and the crowd so I wouldn't have to, t- you know, they wouldn't invade my space. It was very in my element. If I stepped out behind that booth, went out to smoke a cigarette or something, um, and a smoker came up, hey, how's the weather? I go, I got to get back in there. You know, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I got to get back in my safe space, you know. And you had something and, uh, to do with your hands. You had your pillow. Yeah. They, yeah, maybe it could be. I'll never forget that first day of that show. I sold all these pillows, and the next day, it, 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 about the only time it ever happened, all the people that bought that first day came back, and they came back to tell me they paid to get in the show again at different times of the day. This pillow changed my life. This is a you know, miracle, blah blah blah. I'm telling all this, and it wasn't about the money. It made me feel good inside that I had done something good. Right. My, and then I got hooked on helping people. I just like to, you know, that's all. So I was like addicted to doing shows. So one thing I saved throughout those years, even though I lost 20-year marriage, people betrayed me, tried to take the pillow. I mean, all these things that happened. And, and, uh, and the things that happened, though, one of the things is I never broke trust. So if I gave somebody, if I gave a show promoter my word, I was going to be there. I was there. I was straight. You know, mm. I didn't break that trust. So by the time 2008. Yeah, you, got, you got a lot of uh, deals going on that without credit you got. And you always delivered. Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. And then Pillow was company, even by 2008, was just a little blip on the radar. And and um, in 2008, a series of things happened. My drug dealers did an intervention on me. Um, they, uh, about this story that uh, yeah. you, were, you were awake, had been awake for over two weeks. Yeah, two weeks, and they came out of the room, and and uh, I go, what are you guys doing? It was downtown Minneapolis, right where all this stuff just happened. Like, I mean, that same yeah. street. Okay. Yeah. I come out of the I come out of the uh, um, room, and I said, uh, you, I said, what's going on here? And they all knew of each other, but they had they had never met. And they said, well, Mike, you've been up for fourteen days. You're going to bed. You're, you know, uh, when you're out, you're going to. We're not selling you anymore. And I go, what is this an intervention? They go, call it what you will. Well, two of them left, and the other guy sat down and he was going to wait me out. And I, I ran out of, finally ran out of crack. I'm looking on the floor for pieces called carpet farming and I'm scraping my pipe and scraping yeah. my pipe, all these crazy things. And, and, uh, he finally fell asleep. So I headed down to the streets of Minneapolis and I couldn't in an hour, I could not find crack anywhere. Nobody would sell to me. And these are addicts and they're going, they're going, no way, man, my life's not worth it. They had got the word out, you know, he will kill you if you sell to this crazy white guy with a mustache. And here I come back upstairs and he's waiting up for me. And he goes, he says, how'd that work out for you? Now, here's what he said. These are, it's really key. He said, 
you've been, t-, he goes, he took a picture of me with, he said, here, that's for that book you've been telling us you're going to write. Now this is in 2008. And he goes, this is what he said, man, you've been telling us for years that this mic, this pillow thing is just a platform for God. And you're going to come back someday and help us all out of this addiction world we're living in. And we're not going to let you die on us. So I was their hope. These guys believe me. I'd get them in a circle, almost like a meeting where you're, I'd be doing drugs, giving a meeting about not doing drugs and finding God. And it was just, you know, but I was their hope. And they, and uh, that happened. Their, and then they, their hope in a sense that they could get out of what they were into or that they didn't want to be responsible for it. They believed in you too. And they didn't want to see you going down. Right. They believed in me. And they didn't care if that, you know, these guys were the first ones when I did quit that 100% believe they wanted me to quit. Well, when are you going to quit? You said you'd come back and help us because the lifestyle they were leading, they didn't like it either. Right. You know, these wounds, these father wounds and everything that they, people go through. These, right. all these father wounds. I was with them. I did a show in Chicago. It was a while, a couple of years ago. And we were on there talking about the father wounds and stuff. And I, I said, you know, everyone in the inner city here is either addicted or dealing drugs. And she goes, you're stereotype. And I said, ma'am, other than my one Christian drug dealer's mom who prayed for us in the corner, that's my reality. I think everyone in Chicago called her up and said, quit picking on the pillow guy. He's right. (laughs) 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 She had to publicly apologize. But anyway, uh, but then in 2000, another thing happened in 2008, it got up to December of this year, of that year, December of 2008. Now, a month before I quit everything. And it was, this is really important. This guy was, I had lost everything. I mean, you know, everything I was losing the second house, but the pillow company was just almost flatlined. And I didn't have anything left, material, hardly anything left in the world. Well, I'm, I'm in there and all of a sudden my friend Dick pops in. And in the book, I describe it like popping in like Star Trek. All of a sudden there he is. Now, I had not seen, now let me tell you about Dick. He was my equal, almost identical. Like the, in, uh, in 2000, in, we had both started cocaine about the same time. Mm-hmm. We had both switched to crack about the same time. Very functioning addicts for decades. Brothers, and he, brothers yep, in yep, arms. That's yeah. right. But he <laughs> had quit. But he had quit four years earlier. And I had heard by the, you know, by the grace of God or something, he had fell in the Lord, you know. Yeah. And I'm going, well, he always, I'm thinking to myself, well, Dick always believed in God. What do you mean he fell in the Lord? And, and, but here he shows up, I hadn't talked to him in four years and he pops in there and I go, and now here's the deal. I go, Dick, I go, how you doing? He goes, well, I go, what are you doing here? He goes, man, the Lord led me here. He goes, he goes, what's up with you? And I go, I go, well, as long as you're here, I got questions for you. I said, first question I asked him, I said, Dick, is it boring? And he said, no, man, it ain't boring. And, and that, yeah, that was a that big, was a big, was a big yeah, fear. I can't be me. <laughs> I can't be. And then to this day, people go, well, were you asking him about Jesus or were you asking him about um, um, being off drugs? And I said, it might have been both. It didn't matter. He knew what I meant. We had this unwritten thing. Basically, is it going to be boring? I don't care with Jesus or without the drugs. You know, I don't know exactly how the question was worded, but he knew what I meant. And, and then the other thing, then I, for two hours, I sat and drilled him with questions. Why? I got more out of him in two hours of hope than I did of every treatment center I ever went to because that guy, they, you know, there'd be something. He was you. He, he was, was you. me. Yep. Right. He was my, he was like my hope match. I call mm-hmm. it a hope match. Right. He was my hope match. I'm going, wow, there is hope. It was just like, and a month later now, this isn't where I surrender to Jesus. People confuse this part. And on January 16, 2009, on that day, I knew, I made sure I didn't have anything left in the world monetary-wise or, you know, anything worth any money. So when you say your traditional bottom, oh, I was down and out, you know, I'd, money to me, I could find money, drop me anywhere. I did, that part didn't, wasn't the deal. And, but I did make sure that people could look back and say, you know, wow, this is the greatest comeback ever with God, all things are possible. That's what was going through my head. But I did know this. If I went one more day, my calling would be gone. And what God had called all of us to do, my particular calling would be gone. I didn't even really know what it was, but I knew it would be gone. I knew I had a big purpose. purpose. Like like I had told my dealers and I had said, you know, I had told them all. I had told all my friends, it's going to be something to do with addiction. You know, I'm going to come back and help everybody. And, and, uh, you know, it's like the story of a, 
I like I read Crossing the Switchblade, you know, with uh, Teen Challenge uh, with Wilkerson and Nikki Cruz and that story. But I kind of imagine my like a, a Nikki Cruz leading people out of like he led all the games in New York to turn in their guns or whatever, and, you know. Right. But anyway. This is kind of what I had in my head. Yeah, that you would have you would have known both sides. You hadn't just known like the little Boy Scout life growing that, up. You'd yeah, also right. known the very dregs. And after all, Jesus went into like he had prostitutes yeah. and the and the low lives of society is where yep. he would wind up. And so by knowing that it made you a deeper person to be able to appreciate and also be able to speak from experience to go out and, and help those others that had been down there with you to help them as well, correct? Just like, yeah, just like, yeah. exactly like Dick had just showed me. And, <laughs> yeah. but there was, but they, but that night I made a deal with God and I said, the next day I knew there'd be two, I compared it to a drive-in movie theater where you had the second feature and you hadn't decided what the second feature was going to be at. It could be real A would be my calling the rest of my life. Real B would be wherever it was going to take me if I went one more day. If I went one more day, I didn't have the option of A anymore. It was wow. like the old. It was like the old TV we grew up with, the black and white, with the little dot that you. It would go down to this little dot, and you'd turn it back on, and it'd come back to life. Mm-hmm. You know, well, that dot was going out. That was it. There was there wouldn't be no more power on on that option. Well, wow. so I so I prayed to God. I said, God, I said, I want to wake up in the morning. And I'll do this platform deal, but I never want to have the desire for any of these addictions ever again. And, and that was it. And I went to bed and I woke up in the morning and go, wow, something's different. It was like Groundhog Day. I'm going, it's different. And I look in the mirror and I'm going, I didn't even look too bad for being an addict for 30 years. I'm going, you know, I just felt like a burden lifted off me, you know, this big thing. And I felt different. I want to say this. I thought I would have this weight on my shoulder of the weight of the world. Okay, now I got to do this calling thing and I don't have my, I don't have my uh, drugs or, you know, for any pain that I have. And, uh, how, you know, but it was, it was different. I felt like a confidence and a peace. I wanted to set the world on fire and uh, the desire was gone. But now I want to say this because I, I, when I've told this story before, you know, miracles started happening then. But two months later, I felt led to go to our faith-based treatment center with our church has. Even though I had no desire, because I had a fear that the desire would come back somewhat, and I had a fear that you know, you know, why, why would I, why would I an addict in the first place? Because I felt like, wow, this is okay, I'm okay, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, I went to this faith-based center and actually walked in there the first night, the night before we were going to do the class, and there was my instructor there, Rafe. He goes, uh, I see, I was going to start his class the next night, and I said, I just met him. I said, you know what? I said, I used to be an addict. And I said, I quit two months ago. I was a crack addict, cocaine, everything. And I said, but I have this platform God's given me. And I said, the my pillow, it's a my pillow thing. It's going to be big, but it's good. But that's just the platform. I'm going to have a book someday. I'm going to have a foundation. It's going to help millions of people. And I'm telling him all this stuff. And this, and he went home and he told his wife, you should have seen this guy that showed up higher than a kite. You know, but now he's, <laughs> but now, you know, all these grandiose <laughs> things, right. And, uh, but we get, but he's been, he's actually spoke with me on stages before and I'll go, he said it all then it's all come to fruition. But anyway, I got into class that first night and we started going and I had been in treatment centers. I'm not kidding. So many in the eighties and stuff. And, I was became treatment wise, so to speak. Well, anyway, we get in there and I start bragging up on how much cocaine I did and stuff. He goes, we don't care what you did. He goes, tell us about your father. I go, what do you mean my father? You know, and my, and my sister had told me it might have something to do with the divorce. And I said, well, I come, my family divorced when I was seven years old and I was the oldest in the family. I had all this responsibility, blah, blah, blah. Well, anyway, he dug in, they dug in and started to these wounds that I had that I didn't even know I had from childhood. And, and they planted all these seeds. And, you know, I, when I ended up leaving that center, it planted good seeds. Now I didn't completely finish. I probably a month, I thought, wow, this is great. I know, I know the answer now. Right. But I didn't quite get there. I didn't, you know, you know, I didn't do that full day get that personal relationship with Jesus, but there were seeds planted there. I'm going, from a whole nother perspective, I could see, wow, you mean these things manifested to self-worth where I, when I started doing alcohol and drugs and stuff for false courage, block pain, um, you know, I don't, you know, to hide my rejection. So I don't, if I don't get rejected, I didn't care when I, when I was high, I didn't mm-hmm. care. I do whatever I wanted. Well, 
anyway, the so that when I left that, then I you know I spent a couple years getting my pillow back where I could get my shows back. They had all been taken from me by different people. I had been copied. The name had been copied. I mean, it was terrible wow. betrayal. Terrible like, betrayal. Like that movie Joy. Did you did you uh, ever see? Yeah, that yeah, movie yeah, I've Joy? Seen, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen the movie yeah. Joy. Magnum, magnify that by twenty, and that's where I was. I'm not kidding. <laughs> so, it was like really I everything. Everything you could take, you, they had done. But I just had a confidence now, and plus I was all in, all my everything I had going in. Well, it gets up to 2011, and people like to hear this part of the story because this is where things kind of changed then, was I said to my friends and family, I said, if no one's going to take us, no box stores, any, let's do an infomercial. And I said, it's gonna, I had a dream. It's going to be the biggest one in the world. And, and uh, I didn't know infomercials don't work. It's just to get into the box stores. It's just to, and I, but nobody told me it didn't work. It's one of those, you know, maybe, you know, and Gilligan was up flying in that one episode. And the skipper told him he couldn't fly and he crashed. He was flying just fine until he was told he couldn't fly. Yeah. You know? uh, uh, skipper. <laughs> get down here, Gilligan. You can't okay, fly. Skipper. <laughs> he crashed. But, but I, uh, so we all put in our money and we even had some bad things happen there where, they, they they lied to us. They said, uh, you know, that they had done the infomercial. Then that guy took all the money. That we had to kind of do it again. And then we had a we had a. They said, oh, you need an actor. And I said, I said, I didn't I didn't want to do it. But then I'm going. But I see myself. And I said, well, I could probably you know do it. I don't want an actor. I can't afford one. And, and I just wanted to make it real. I said, I, I want to make it real. Like that. There's like when I sold it all those home shows and fairs for seven years across the country. Seven years I did home shows fairs night and day, every weekend, all the way through the Midwest from coast to coast. Well, that's why I wanted to only put it on TV. Well, anyway, we went to film in August of 11, the night so before. So it must have been different, though, on camera, right? Did you get that? Did oh, you feel I, like <laughs> the, you know, the deer in the headlights type of yeah. thing you know, with, the, yeah. with the quiet that's around there? Oh, <laughs> here's what happened. Here's what happened. So we bring in, we bring in this producer from California, and he brings in – and. And we're in the back and we're doing our reads. You know, it's going to be on a teleprompter thing. And we're doing our reads. And he texts the other guy, said, this is the worst guy I've ever seen. He'll never make it on TV. <laughs> Why? And he goes, he goes, he's paying you. Just humor him. You know, That's the greatest so, motivation you could have. <laughs> but I didn't know. Okay. But yeah. I, I, didn't, I, I didn't hear him. I didn't hear him. Yeah. So now, the next day, he was kind of right. I walked out there. And here's the real audience, the live audience. And it took one hour to do one line. You'll appreciate it. I'm like, and then the, but it's something I wouldn't normally say. So we didn't know what to do. And I said, well, why don't we take, I said, I want you to just bring in a table, bring in a table. Cause I was doing it with a gal that I had done shows with. Right. I said, bring in a table, throw away the teleprompter and let, just let me do a sales pitch naturally. So we did all this naturally and uh, it aired. I was living in my sister's basement. October 7, 2011, I had like, it aired at three o'clock in the morning at about 10, um, I had about 10 employees and it exploded. 40 days later, I had 500 employees. Just, and you also had the biggest invite in, in the yeah. world. In the world in by December world. 26th. Yep, in the world by December 26th. We took in, we took in a hundred million dollars though over six months. I mean, and, and at the end of that, I was six million in debt, and I didn't have. Now I'm going. God, now I'm doing that reactive God. I'm going. God, please, what did I do? I, I want a second chance. I don't know what I did wrong. Well, I learned so much. All these companies had bigger companies have betrayed me. I, I my hand, I would deal where my hand shakes my word, and I make a deal, and they uh they had just you know they didn't follow the deal or didn't fulfill their part of it, and right. and then there was so much. So many mistakes made by media buying, so I took it all in-house then. That's where I learned I took it on to micromanage every single piece where I realized, where every spot, like I said earlier in the show, every spot is like my only spot. Every customer is like my only customer. Every show is my own. What if I had to live on just this show or just that commercial for that space and time? So we track every time you see me out there, every time you hear me, that's tracked the next day. What happened to that thing? How much did it do? What was the, you know, did something change it? Why did it do so good? And we expand on what went good and we take down what went bad and you learn from it. Well, if 2012 hadn't happened, 
that was, you know, it was devastating at the time. Sometimes things in life seem so devastating, but if they wouldn't have happened, you wouldn't be, you know, right. you wouldn't be where you're at. And right. it steals your courage, right? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, we got up to 2014, the summer of 14, and we were in the infomercial now hit fatigue. That's our half hour infomercial hit of fatigue. And we were within two days of going under and actually flew out to California. And I met uh, the gal I was telling about earlier, Kendra. And uh, actually sitting right over here. <laughs> hey, Kendra. <laughs> and she, and she, Dennis said hello. <laughs> but uh, but it, they, uh, so anyway, we I met her and she's saying we you know to pray for all these things. We had to pray for, you know, miracles, basically. And she but I noticed something in her that she had this personal relationship with Jesus and I'm going, and she's asking me, you know, and do you have, you know, and she's asking me questions. You have that. And I said, yeah, I do. I believe in God. And, and I knew she was right about something, but I couldn't put my finger. Now by then everyone in the country had seen me always wearing my cross on TV. Well, I'd always wear my cross. Even when I was on drugs, I, I that's how I would start my conversation with people. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be that guy, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't out there posing. In fact, I'd have people call me up that seen that. I'd answer the phone to sell them pillows, and they go, it'd be some, uh, you're wearing that cross, Bob. It'd be some atheist person and telling me about I By the time I get off the phone, I'd have them saved. i go, there, take that now. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, why are you calling? <laughs> you, believe in Jesus. you believe in Jesus now, but I still don't have a relationship. <laughs> <laughs> have a nice day. <laughs> Probably saved so many people that way. But they, uh, and I knew she was right. And anyway, we prayed and we got favor. And and we we had another we had a commercial. Then we did, and it had failed. And then the, this one gal said, she says, um, in my company, she says that stuck with me through ever forever. And she said, you you need to be in the commercial. And I said, I, I what difference am I going to make in the commercial? And she said. You need to be in it. We had nothing to lose. So then I went in the one and two minutes. I didn't want to be the guy doing the doing the sales pitch, you know, buy one and whatever. And I did to this day, I don't do that part. You know, there's someone else does that. Right. It's a voice, right? Yeah. The voice, but I do the I do the I do the pitching part of it. Mm-hmm. And I and I did that and then we just got we this was huge success again, that kind of commercial. I knew people wanted to see they like a story. So I showed me and my son making the pillow back in the day and all the one of my sons and and my other son was in this we but we just it was like a people like that that photo of you and your son uh, on your infomercials all the ones that i say is the photo that's one of my sons yeah Yeah. that's one of my sons so tim and i but my it was such family we dove in and people like to see that's the american dream and i Mm -hmm. and so they would buy if they didn't buy it because they were buying for pillows they were buying it to keep going you know I, i had to use promo codes get this my promo codes, I had to go to a, you know, instead of getting, uh, tw- if I gave just 20% off, if it was 20% off, they wouldn't even use the promo code because they they just like the company and like the story. And I, and I needed that tracking. So I had to use a bigger discount, you know, to get to be able to track. <laughs> okay, well, give them a, buy one, get one free, you know. And, uh, but anyway, so we do this and and then a big thing happened. I started writing my book. Now, my book took seven years to write, but I had kept things all my life to prove these things were true. And when I started it in, 2000, in the spring of 2015, I had, I had two years of transcriptions where transcribes were all these stories. I had talked into a microphone, and, they, uh, and what I had done is um, I had talked into a microphone, and they and, – so they were all transcribed and they were all laying at this table I had that was about the length of half a house. And my, um, my, um, um, what the guy that, when the guy that was helping me, he was a pastor and he said, he said, I go, I don't know what to leave in, what to leave out. Like the, like the song, you know? And I go, and he goes, Mike, and he walks around that table and he just grabs randomly one story, December, 1987. And he, and we read that story and he goes, any person that had this happen to him or this would surrender on the spot. He said, maybe all these stories, all these things that happen to you keep happening because it's for you. And he pointed to me and he goes, he goes, and I go, I'm going, what? And I'm going, and then he goes, you need to get there to get that personal relationship. I, I'm going, what are you talking to Kendra or something? You know, I'm not, I mean, I felt like, <laughs> I, cause I, cause I, 
you know, and I knew he was right, and I knew Kendra was right. But I, but then I'm going, okay, God, I wanted more proof. I guess it was like all these miracles weren't enough for incorrigible me. Here I am, right. incorrigible, going, show me more, show me more. Well, then he did. Let me tell you, and from the spring of 15, so I have a dream I'm going to be in the same room as uh, Donald Trump. I'm going. I don't know Donald Trump. Why would I, you know, why would that, why would I want to meet Donald Trump? And why would I be in this room? It was a very vivid dream. And then a month later, he runs for president. And uh, remember, I knew nothing about politics. I didn't know a thing, right? So the, well, then things, I go over to Israel. That was the thing. All of a sudden, we have this divine appointment over in Israel. Well, on the way there, I'm talking to a radio host. And, I'm, and I said, what, what's this a liberal? They were moving the embassy to uh, Jerusalem, correct? No, 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 no. This is in 2015. Okay. In 2015. So I'm, I had just, I had had a dream I would meet Donald Trump. And he, you know, all of a sudden he ran for president in June of 15. And here's some ex-crack addict from Minnesota. It doesn't mean nothing. And I'm going, and all of a sudden I'm going over to Israel just on a trip. It was with, uh, it was with the media group. Okay. Right. And, and we were going on one of them tours and I was with Kendra and in any way, I was asking these guys, I said, what's the difference between a liberal, a conservative, a, a Democrat, a Republican? And I'm learning all these things. I still don't know what some words mean, you know, filibuster, you know, I got to find out. <laughs> <laughs> some guy named Phil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, I, mean these, I didn't know all this stuff, but I, but I wanted to learn, you know, I wanted to learn it because now when I came out of my cultural, my coma I had been in for all those years on drugs and not worrying about politics, all of a sudden, I'm going, what did I miss? You got a president giving money to an evil empire. All my friends had lost their houses. I had already lost mine. Um, they're giving away first place trophies halfway through my kid's softball game. I'm going, what is this? They go, well, little John. <laughs> it was crazy. Little John, where I come from. This is not yeah, the yeah, planet yeah, I was born on. The lady goes, I go, why did they all get first place trophies? She goes, well, little Johnny last year cried and, and because he didn't get one. I go, little Johnny's a terrible ball player. Yeah. What's he going to do? I'm sorry, little Johnny. Well, in anyway. the office too until they, <laughs> yeah, until they exactly. so so all this stuff and I'm going you know and then I had this dream I was going to meet Donald Trump and he was running for president I'm going well I'm gonna I drilled these questions I go wow what a division there was I couldn't believe that all the things I believed in kind of fell in this area here and with the conservative and my Christian values are you know that I had and uh, anyway then things started happening to me like I, I went to the national prayer breakfast. And I hadn't been, I still didn't know how to pray or I still didn't have that first relationship. I'm picked out of 12 people to pray with Ben Carson in a room. No. And I'm going, what are the, what are the odds of that? So I get in this room and this guy, he's a, this pastor, I goes, a couple of you in this room are going to become great friends and change the course of the world or help the court, change the course or something like that. Well, I knew one of them was me. I had no, I just felt that. I, I know who the other one was. Well, to this day, me and Ben are like best friends. Okay. So wow. here, so, so did you have plan? Did you have time to like plan what you were going to say, or was it just sort of on the spot? No, no, this was just twelve, you know, twelve people in a room, mm. and and just to pray. There was a small room, and right. interesting enough about that, of course, of course, yeah, but yeah, they're, but they're all talking and they're all praying. I, I just said I kept my mouth shut, kind of, and they're all talking about. And he was still running for president then, right? You know, Ben was, and here's funny. I mean, the show up and I'm so out of my element, I can't talk to these people going, I'm going, well, number one, I can't pray. Number two, I, I'm not good at talking to people I don't know. So I said, so Ben was the first one I said to him, I go, I go, Ben, this is because I would always tell people this. I go, Ben, you know, I, or I said, Mr. Carson, I said back then, I, you know, we were, and I said, Mr. Carson, I said, I got a, I got a good slogan. If I ever run for president or run for something, I said, you know, I always say Warsh on TV with an R, you know, Warsh. Mm -hmm. I said, clothes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here would be my slogan: "Vote for me, and I'll put the R back in Washington." <laughs> <laughs> and, that, <laughs> and that broke the ice with the whole world. <laughs> and, uh, anyway, so then, so then, then it got up. It led up to the summer, and I was invited to the uh, Republican convention. I don't even know how I ended up there because I was not about anything to do with politics. And shortly after that, 
I was on my way actually well, to see. Cal- hmm. You're uh, an entrepreneur who did successful business on the rise in a swing state. Um, yes. Yeah, that could be, but I don't know how he would, he didn't invite me. Donald Trump didn't invite me. I got invited by, it was a weird situation, but anyway, so here now this is the summer of 16 and I'm on my way to California actually to do a, a first part I did in a movie. It was a little cameo part in a movie I was doing. Well, anyway, so I'm flying there and I'm already nervous about this part I'm going to do, but I'm flying on this airplane and it gets up to 10,000 feet and there's a, and it's where I had set my phone where it would ding if I got an email, you know. I got internet at 10,000 feet. And I had opened up this book about Donald Trump, this magazine thing. I just bought it at the news. And finally, I kind of said a little prayer in the bulkhead there. And I said, uh, God, I said, if, if, um, if, if um, you know, if I'm supposed to meet him, I said, I know what I've seen in this dream. You know, I need to know because this was like, you know, August of 16. I said, I need to know right now. And at that moment in time, my phone dinged and said, Mike, this is Donald Trump. Will you meet me in Trump Tower in New York City? I'm going, God, I got him. And the, 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 flight, att- the, the flight attendant's going, are you okay? I go, yes, it's a miracle. It wasn't because I was going to meet him. It's because my prayer was answered in real time. Well, it sounds you like know? you were starting to have a personal relationship to God. You right. were talking to him like he was right yeah. there. Yeah, absolutely. And that, But these things got more and more. And then, and then um, – I did have that meeting. It was they said, Mike, whatever you do, don't you, you, don't talk about crack. Whatever you do, don't. Um, you're not going to be with them alone. And well, on August 15, 2016, walked in. We were alone. We talked about. I, he says, "You always wear your cross. Are you a Christian, Mike?" I said, "Yeah." I said, "And uh, this is a divine appointment, Mr. Trump." We're talking back and forth, talking about the inner city. And I said, "And the stuff he was going to do, stop the drugs pouring in, and all these great things he's going to do." And I said, "Well, I was a crack cocaine act," and I'm looking at him like. How do you feel about that? <laughs> and it was just, it was like talking to my best friend. It was just, he was so real and all the things mm-hmm. he was going to do. And I left there and I went and talked to his employees and everyone said the same thing. They go, he's a great boss. He's, he's going to, you know, he has no agenda. I've been in, I've had guns to my head and stuff, you know, and everything I ate with four forks. And so I have to read people. I read him no agenda other than to help this people. Right. So I go back and go all in as you all know, well here, it gets to be, I'm getting up to now, of course, I did a full surrender. I then think more things started happening. I'm thrown into the public eye because I backed him. And I was attacked and everything else. And I'm going, for, you know, for my Christian beliefs and for backing the president. Well, anyway, he gets elected. I'm, my friends now are seeing me on TV. I was invited to the White House and I'm sitting there next to him in the White House on national TV. And my friends are going, What? Look at that crackhead, ex crackhead sitting next to the president. Jesus must be real. <laughs> this is impossible, right? So, so, so anyway, but things like that. And for me, so they're all quitting going, wow, this could only happen with God, all this stuff. Well, anyway, there was more things that happened. And it got up to January, or I mean, uh, February 18th. Were everybody ready for this? 2017. That's only a couple of years ago. And I went into this retreat. It's called Operation Restore Warriors. It's actually for veterans. And it was a veteran friend of mine. And he says, you know, you can come through this. And I'm going, and he told me kind of what it was. And, and uh, it sounded a little bit like that treatment I went to back in uh, 2009, back with, at my church. And, and I said, yeah, I'll go. And I went in there. And Kendra says, you need to go in there. You're going to find Jesus, you know, a personal relationship. And I'm going, okay. And I went in there with hope. And on February 18, 2017, that was the second day I was there, I got on my knees and I did that full surrender. And I had that personal relationship, the Holy Spirit. It was just, it just changed everything. I didn't mm-hmm. even know. Now I can be proactive in prayer because where is God's word? God's word, God's word. You know, people that pray, it might not be God's will. And I've always said right. this now and I think, it might not be God's will, but where is God's will? God's will is in the word. So staying in the word, I can be proactive in prayer, and I and I pray for wisdom and discernment all the time on decisions. Well, the one last thing I want to say with that is, to, about a month later, after getting saved, I went to or two months later, U.S. Bank Stadium in Minnesota, for this, and uh, there was fifty thousand millennials there, and here's a guy scared to death before that couldn't talk about a you know on a stage, and. Uh, and now they want me to talk. There was this big Christian bands and all this stuff and 50,000 people. 
They interviewed me for five minutes telling my story. Then all of a sudden we got on stage and I had to lead hundreds of thousands of hours on video to in prayer for a minute. I, I don't even know what I said. I'm going, if, you know, here's this calling now that's coming into being of, of my, my evangel evangelical calling to preach out for Jesus. Well, here, two, three weeks later, my, my um, granddaughter and I were at an amusement park and all those millennials, all those 20 to 30 year old kids were there. They're, they're coming up by the droves and they're coming. Hey, I was at that event, your prayer. I found Jesus. And they're going, I heard you talking. You know, I was an addict. I found Jesus. And I'm going, and that was God confirming to me, just like he had back with those pillows where he said, Hey, this pillow really helped me. And it made me know that I was on the right path. Well, them coming to me, I'm going, wow, could this, this is my calling. I mean, it was just this huge confirmation. And, uh, Finally, my granddaughter like said, said, your platform, your platform that started from everything else that goes out, you know, God, God's the ones that he chose. You go to the Bible and the ones that he chose, they had stutters, they had limps, they were outcasts. They, uh, they, just, they were sort of like, I can't do this. I can't do that. And uh, well, yeah, you, you can. You, you've got the most amazing story. And I, for one, would love to see somebody like you run for governor. Yeah. I might regret to see somebody like you run for governor. I was just with the president, vice president a couple, three weeks ago. And, and they both talked to me about it. And, uh, and uh, in fact, the president read my book. He said, Mike, I read your book cover to cover. I had to find out what makes you tick. I said, did you find out? <laughs> but they were both talking about the governor because they had heard that I was thinking about running and, and, you know, if I, if God wants me to do it, I will. It's looking to that because, you know, I had said last November that Minnesota was the, you know, ground zero for spiritual warfare in this country. I said it was ground zero for the election, ground zero for everything. And then look what happened. It's all, you know, it all came all this stuff out of Minnesota, these terrible decisions mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. terrible, terrible leadership we have. And, and I know firsthand because I reached out to them for different things. I've been, I've been put right in the thick of things. And I, I told, uh, you know, I would say it's the only reason I want, I believe God's telling me to do it. You know, it's 90 some percent, but that's, you know, that's a couple years away. It's 2022. And uh, um, I like to do when I see, when I see, um, when I say wisdom in a sermon on the path I'm taking, you know, that to trust the Lord with my past, you know, Proverbs three, five, six, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean on, on lean on, on your own understanding. And always acknowledge him and he will guide your path. I do that, but I also try to I look, okay, this must mean, why would he have me in all these different positions of meeting all these people if I, if I wasn't going to do it? You know what it I mean? It seems to be preparing you. It, it really does. I yeah, also say really you have to be careful about what you ask God for because he just might give it to you. Right on. And, <laughs> and I really, and I get, you know, and I ask <laughs> <laughs> and it gives it usually gives it to you in a way that you just didn't expect. Well, yeah, exactly. You know, I was very blessed too. I was able to meet like eight Christian governors. I mean, all for a half hour separately. It's a whole other thing that happened to me in, in February. And I, to, and I got to ask them all, what, what, you know, do you think I could make a difference being governor? And there was all these confirmations of what it would take, what it would do. You know, because I wouldn't want to sit there and not be able to make a difference when I have this other big platform. You know, would it take away from that? Well, it might have, but now it looks like if you can you imagine if you can straighten out uh, with Minnesota, because Minnesota was in the world eye, not just the, the nation, you know, yeah. the nation. It was it was in the eye of the world. Well, now you're going to be, if you can show that, bring that bring that state back to God, bring that state back to, to where we were in uh and get it, you know, keep America free. And that's what I've been expressing. Bro, and that, I have one thing to say. Run, Mike, run. <laughs> that's, that's like that. I love that's like that book. That's another book from I'll Pete Shelley. Run, baby, run. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, oh, your, your life, your story has inspired me. And I know it's, it's inspired just millions and millions of people. Even the ones that would call at the beginning would call you goofy and cheesy and this and that. You know, you are a genuine, you're a genuine person and you are a person of such substance that oh, anybody could aspire to be. It's true. And you've 
learned all your, you learned your lessons the hard way and you have such a joy uh, of, of life and a joy that flows through you. And I believe that to be God's joy. Yes. It's infectious and that we need more of in this world. And God bless you, Mike Lindell. Well, God and, bless you. And and thanks. I, I really do want your pillow. And after we finish this, I'm getting everything set. I got, I got a whole bunch of stuff to send you. You just get, give me your address. I'll get it all out to you. You're going to love every bit of it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, thank you so much for, for being with you know, here on the Dennis Science. And um, I, I I would like I want to meet you in real life, and I, I have a feeling God's going to put us together again. In oh, absolutely! I just, uh, I just knew it, just like I knew this uh, interview was going to happen. So, <laughs> so when you called, I'm a big fan. I'm going. I go. I make it way. I go. Absolutely, get that booked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. Uh, well, hey, listen. Thanks, you have a great day, and thanks, thanks for being Dennis. here. Yeah, thank you. God bless. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.